Sweet. Are you in Romans 14? I just, I just felt like I wanted to read this whole chapter before we actually dive into it. So can we do that this morning? It's 21 verses. Let's check it out. It says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the pe- weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise. <laughs> I tell you, man, a steak, it's good for you. Verse 3. We'll get into this, though. We'll, we'll find out what's going on. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or fall, falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and lived again, that he might be both Lord of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we all stand before the judgment seat of God, for it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then, each of us will give an account of himself to God. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. I know that I am persuaded in the Lord that nothing is unclean in itself, but, if, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not for the sake of food destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or to drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself by what, for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your word this morning. And uh, for this journey we've been on through Romans, and God, we just ask again, your spirit's blessing upon our time in the word. Lord, would you, would you touch our hearts? Would you change our character, Lord? Would you feed us bread from heaven, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Right on. So we've been diving in. Funny passage, eh? Bit of a funny passage. And uh, we've been cruising through these last few chapters through Romans. We've been looking at 
the vertical uh, relationship that we are called to have with God. We've been looking at the horizontal relationships that we're called to have with believers and non-believers. And last week, we, we cruised through that section, a great section of scripture on submission to authorities and how we're to relate to human governments and all of these things. And now as Paul uh, keeps going along these themes of human relationships, he comes back to relationships within the body of Christ. And chapter 14 really deals here with, with controversies and, and disputes within church family. I mean, what do we do when Christians disagree? Now, I know that might seem kind of hard to believe for you to think, really, Christians disagree? That can happen in a church? Is that possible? And if you've kicked around for any length of time, you know that that's the case. You know, I read once a story of an, old, an older lady. She was a, a woman of, of simple means. And after she had been attending a church for a period of time, that she decided she'd apply for ch church membership. And so she filled out the application. She submitted it to the, um, the membership committee, and her application was rejected. And so she thought, okay, well, I'll fill it out again. And she filled out the membership application, and again, the membership committee rejected her. And, and so she went through the process a third time and a fourth time rejected. And so finally she went to the head of the membership committee, the chairman, and she said, I don't understand my, my application for church membership keeps getting rejected. And so the, the chairman said to her, well, I, I think you probably need to go home and pray about it and then resubmit your application. And so a few years go by, and one day the, the chairman of the membership committee's out and about, and he comes across this woman. She's working in a, in a hotel, cleaning the floor. And he said, hey, I've never got your application for church membership. In fact, you know, I haven't even seen you at church lately. Like, tell me, when you went home to pray like I told you to do, what did, what did the Lord say to you? And she said, well, I went home to pray and the Lord told me not to feel bad about being rejected by your church membership committee because he's been trying for 20 years and you haven't let him in, so he gave up too. <laughs> we know churches are funny places, right? The body of Christ, we're human beings, man. And you know, you look at the book of Acts, you know, people always point to the book of Acts. They're like, oh, if the church could just be like the book of Acts. I'm like, are you kidding me? You apparently read a different book of Acts than the one that I read because what I see in there is when it comes to matters of unity, the church quickly had division in the book of Acts, man. Paul and Barnabas couldn't even get along. And, and that's what, you know, is, seems to be the pattern of the New Testament. I mean, we regularly miss that, how quickly disputes developed in the first century church. In fact, almost every single church that's mentioned in the New Testament had disputes and issues of unity in their midst. The Corinthians were divided. They were committed to different leaders and fighting in their church over which leaders they were into. The Galatians, Paul said, you're biting and you're devouring one another. That is not the fruit of the Spirit. You know, to the, the Christians in Ephesus, and Colossae, Paul had to remind them both about the importance of unity in the body. In Philippi, the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4 tells us that there was a dispute that was so harsh between two women in that church that Paul had to address it in that letter and say, you're, you're in danger of splitting the whole church, basically. And so, you know, disputes are 
not uncommon within the body of Christ. Now, there's times, of course, when a dispute is necessary. You got There are things, there are hills that you have to die on in regards to theology. When it comes to Jesus and the cross and the, the core stuff of the gospel, those are hills that we die on. But there's lots of disputes and things that really don't matter. You know, they're kind of Discussions that fall into gray areas, or you might call them disputable matters. Disputes can arise within a body that are, that are not black and white. Matters that are not clearly defined, maybe, in the Bible. And so when it comes to gray areas, things that we could have dispute over, it's nice to have some instruction from God's word. And, and that's where Paul goes here. Now remember, what are we dealing with in Rome? We're dealing with Gentiles and Jews in a church family. There's all sorts of cultural things going on. There's governmental things going on, as we've talked about so many times. The Jews had been ousted from Rome. They've been brought back. The church is trying to navigate all of this stuff. And so Paul begins to talk about some things that really matter. Now, if you think about this, what matters to a Jew very much? Their diet, the day on which they worship, the Gentiles had very different cultural backgrounds. And so Paul is addressing some very practical things. They're, they're things that for us are kind of gray, but we've got our own gray areas. And so the first thing he, he's going to just tell these guys is don't, don't judge one another when it comes to things that, that could be considered disputable matters or gray areas. And you know what Paul is telling us? Look at, well, look at verse 1. He says this. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him. But not to quarrel over opinions. See, what Paul is telling us really is this, is that maturity in one's Christian faith is, is not the measurement that is required and that we use to determine who we're going to fellowship with. You know, we are like-minded people who share in common the fact that we have put our hope in Jesus Christ. We've come to a saving knowledge of Jesus. And in a family, in a church family, when, when there are different people from different backgrounds and have served Jesus for different lengths of time, there are, there's a scale of maturity where people are at in the Lord. And you know, on the grade of spiritual maturity, there's different places. And your spiritual maturity is not necessarily equated with how long you've warmed a pew or how long you've been a follower of Jesus. Sometimes it seems to me that those who haven't known Jesus for very long seem to surpass lots of people who have been a part of the kingdom for a long time, or vice versa. And so Paul says, you know, either way, wherever somebody is at, don't let these gray issues of disputable matters become a reason for not accepting the weaker brother. Now there's lots of reasons why someone could be weak in the faith. Let me just toss out a few. Maybe they're just simply a, a baby Christian. New in, new in the Lord, and babies are weak, and they, they, they just don't have a lot of grounding. So that could be a reason. Maybe, they're, maybe spiritually they're sick. That happens. You know, if you, you could be, things like legalism or false teaching, those things can be like a sickness, to a believer, or a weak believer could be malnourished because they're not, they're not taught or grounded or haven't received good teaching. Or maybe a believer can even be weakened by just a lack of exercise, man. Like the Dead Sea that we talked about a few weeks ago. No outflow in their life and they need exhortation. 
And when you think about someone, as we're going to see here, who's strong in faith versus someone who is weak in the faith, you know, there's lots of things that Christians can dispute over. Should I pull the room? Things that you've seen? I can tell you a few I've seen. You know, worship fights. You know, dress code. Jeans or no jeans. I'm wearing my jeans this morning. You know, the brand of coffee that's served at a church. I've heard about that one. Or the day of worship. You know, whether it's Saturday or Sunday. Or how about, you know, the, those who are teetotalers and those who consume alcohol. Alcohol, that's a disputable matter within the body. You know, some Christians are really bothered by uh, pagan backgrounds to things like Christmas or, or Halloween. Or, you know, I had a discussion yesterday with someone over a Bible translation. You know, there's those churches that are like, we are King James only, or they hold to this translation or to that translation. And in the first century, in Paul's time, an issue that was a common dispute between Christians in, in that first century was that of diet. Now again, you've got to think of the context, right? It's Jews and Gentiles. The cultural back to background of Jews and Gentiles were very different, and it created a gray area. You imagine if you're a Jew, okay? You've worshipped on the Sabbath. You've always eaten kosher food, and now you come to faith in Jesus Christ. And the church is worshiping on Sunday. And now all foods are clean. And you're living in a pagan city like Rome where people are in the market or prepping food and then they're offering it to their gods and they're selling. It's like you've been monotheistic your whole life. You don't know anything else. People are offering their meat to idols and you don't know how to wrestle through in your conscience the eating of such thing. Then you've got the Gentile you know, polytheistic probably, all sorts of weird spiritual things, not include, you know, didn't, didn't hold to a Sabbath, ate whatever you wanted, and you come to faith in Jesus. And now you've got these cultural blends within the body, and, and people are coming from these different backgrounds. In fact, you know, in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 15, a great chapter about, about grace, it recounts the very first council meeting when all the apostles got together and they discussed these things. And the apostles, one of the main issues that they were discussing was this, that does a Gentile need to be Jewish in his eating habits to follow Jesus? Does he have to become kosher in order to be saved? And so you've got all this dynamic going on in the Roman church. Look at verse 2. Paul says this. I like this verse. It's funny. Sometimes the Bible is just funny, man. Verse 2. One person believes he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. Isn't that great? You poor vegetarians this morning. You get to pick on you. <laughs> Paul's example here. Like I said, this disputable matter. A, veg a vegetarian. You know? Is, it vegetarian, is a vegetarian more spiritual than the person who loves a nice big steak? And I just would say I don't really care as long as I can have a big steak once in a while. <laughs> but you know, you have to think again of the, of the Jew. I imagine a lot of them. Remember Daniel? When Daniel was taken off with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and they were taken as captives to Babylon. So you remember, remember the decision that they made and the request that they made? They said, we don't want to eat this stuff that you serve and you offer to your gods, would you allow us to be vegetarian 
And God blessed them. They ate vegetables and drank water, those poor guys. And, and the Lord blessed them. And so this is the same dynamic. You have to think that in the first century church, a lot of Jews were, were maybe going towards vegetarianism or vice versa, whatever it is, refusing to eat meat, concerned that it was sacrificed to some idol, consuming it bothered their, their conscience. And so they just personally preferred to be a vegetarian for a matter of conscience. Others were like, I don't care. I don't care what, you know, meat's meat. I don't care what false god it's been offered to. I used to bow the knee to those false gods. And now I've come to know the one true living God. And I'm not going to be bound to that religious garbage that once, you know, controlled my life. Those are no gods. They're not gods. So I don't care where the meat's been offered. I'll buy it and I'll feed my family with it. And so you, you see the context of what was going on. And, and so the real issue, when you, when you consider this, when you consider just kind of what Paul's talking about here, really the real issue is not, you know, vegetarians versus those who eat meat. The issue is that there's, there is different levels of maturity when it comes to faith. Some people are strong in faith. Paul says others are weak in faith. And as you read this chapter, as we go through it this morning, you're going to see that that those who are strong in faith understand liberty. Those who are strong in faith understand the freedom that comes with serving Jesus and they're not enslaved to matters of diet. And the weak faith, in this context here, were immature believers who felt obligated to obey legalistic rules in terms of what they ate. But they were being true to their conscience. And you know, when it comes to Christianity, many have just kind of formed this idea in their minds that, I would say this, that those who are strict and who are legalistic are often those who are most mature. And I actually don't think that's the case. You know, we have to go, look at that guy. He's so strict. He's got all these rules. He, he's so mature. He has all the appearance of, of being pious and, and being holy. But usually... That's not the case. You know, usually in Christianity, it's, it's the one who is most morally uptight, the one who is most rigid in discipline and who appears to have the highest standards, who is actually the weaker brother. You know, the more legalistic and uptight someone is, the weaker they are. You know, Christians have often, you ever heard that, the frozen chosen? Remember that? You don't hear that so much anymore. You know, it's like, some Christians act like they've been baptized in pickle juice, man. They don't know how to smile anymore. They don't know how to have any joy. And so Paul is telling us here, when it comes to areas that are, that are gray, where it's disputable, he just says this, receive the weaker brother. If you are the stronger, receive the weaker. Receive the one who is religious. Receive the one who is strict and uptight and maybe looking down on others. Don't, don't involve yourselves in another controversy over something that doesn't matter because it falls into a gray area. Just recognize, that's my brother. I'm going to love that person in Jesus. And you know, in turn, I would say just, in turn though, it matters here, and Paul's going to say this, don't, don't let your freedom or your maturity become a, a reason to have contempt against a, a weaker person in the Lord. 
who's in the family of God. You know, Paul's going to say this. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Look at verse 3 with me. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains. And let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcomed him. Oh, simple, right? It's easy for the meat eater to look down on the vegetarian. It's, it's easy for the vegetarian to judge the meat eater. But the real thing is, the real truth is this. Doesn't Jesus love them both? Doesn't he? You know, God doesn't care what kind of coffee we serve at this church. I care. I totally care. I'm like, you bought what roast? No, we're going with this roast. Don't change that, you know, poor Shona. I care what, God doesn't care. God doesn't care. God's not concerned about the color of the carpet like the old stories you've heard or the hymnal versus the chorus book. Whether we pass the offering basket or put jars on the side of there. Does God care? These are all matters of personal preference. And they're not things to get upset or fight about. The Lord's concerned about saving people. The Lord is concerned about his people loving him and loving one another. About souls being saved and brought into the kingdom. He's concerned about his people walking in the spirit and living the life of grace. Look at verse 4. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It's before his own master that he stands or falls. And he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. You know, I'm grateful for that. I read that. I'm like, man, I'm thankful that the Lord is able to make me stand. I'm thankful that the Lord is able to make you stand. And that each of us will stand or fall before the master. And it's not our place to place judgment on one another. It's not my place to pass judgment on you or to you to pass on me. God can even make a vegetarian stand. That's all I read there. Like, he can do it. And, and so our differences are our differences. And what we are called to in Christ is to rise above those differences. You know, I was thinking about family, you know. Just you think about your family. Our extended family on both sides, Lisa and mine, you know. We, we love our family over, over the years. There's been disputes among family. You know, we actually have in our extended family, those who are like vegetarian and those who are meat eaters. It's like an issue at our family, some of our family dinners, you know. There's different theological perspectives. And yet, you know what, we rise above that because we're family. Because we're family. And we gather around the dinner table and I eat the vegetarian food and I know that they slip meat in once in a while. And we rise above those differences. And here's the thing. What Paul's saying is this. He's saying this. We're family. We're family in the body of Christ. And so we're to rise above these things that are gray for the sake of the kingdom. See, judging one another is really inappropriate in, in regards to these things because these are matters of personal conviction. Look at verse 5. He says this. He goes to this example of certain days. One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Again, you're like, what's the big deal? It's a big deal. You remember, the, the, the Jewish people, the Sabbath is something that has divine, defined them for thousands of years. Even when 
The Israelites haven't had a, haven't had a, didn't have a nation for 1,900 years. They maintained the Sabbath. Made them distinct amongst all the peoples of the world throughout all of their, their history. At one time, the, the Seventh-day Adventists, you know those guys, they worship on Saturday. At one time, it was in their, in their doctrine and in their theology that, that they believed if you worshiped on a Sunday, you were in danger of the fire of hell, man for Sunday worship. That's you and me. They've backed off that one though. You know, so for some, Paul's saying this. He's saying, man, for some, the day of worship is really important. Yeah, I remember, I just, I kind of grew up in that time when it was like, I even felt guilty as a teenager when I had to work on Sundays at Super Value, man. But things have changed somewhat for us culturally and and there's, there's good parts of that and bad parts of that. But, you know, when we talk about the day of worship, you know, my personal conviction is this, is I view every day the same. For me, Sunday, Saturday, I don't care. Every day, to me, is an opportunity to worship Jesus. Why wouldn't I want to worship him on Wednesday as much as I worship him on Sunday? I want to make the most out of every day to worship God. That's my conviction. And if you want to view Saturday as more holy or Sunday is more holy, then that's totally fine. That's what Paul's saying. Just that each one of us should be fully convinced in our own minds. Convinced about the convictions that we express. And we do not let those personal convictions be disputable matters. It don't matter. It doesn't matter. Within the body. Look at verse 6. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. And the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord, and he gives thanks to God. So there it is. You know, whatever you think about these gray issues, vegetarianism, eating meat, Sabbath, no Sabbath, they're, they're, they're gray issues. The only instruction Paul gives us is this, that whatever you decide on these things, give thanks to God in the midst of it. Give him thanks. Don't use your, I would say this though, you know, you can't, you can't use, in, in the midst of that, as you decide things on great things, you, you, you cannot use your conscience to excuse things that are sinful. There are things that are sinful. We're not talking about that here. We're talking about disputable matters, you know. I would say this, you know, don't, don't try to tell me that getting drunk is a disputable matter. That's not a disputable matter in the scriptures. Or other things. Those are, that's a, that's a, an example of obvious sinful behavior. But whatever you do, you must be able to do so to the Lord. That's what he says. Check it out. We, we belong to the Lord. And he's going to say, in, in him we, we live. In him we die. Look at verse 7. For none of us lives to himself. And none of us dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord. If we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. I like the language of Paul there. We are the Lord's. You know, Jesus, the disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. He said, pray this way. Our Father. You know, it's interesting. Whenever you pray the Lord's Prayer by yourself, how do you start? You start our Father. You're like, you're by yourself. But there's family involved. Togetherness. We are the Lord's. And when you're trying to balance your freedom in Christ and your responsibility 
to him. Romans 14 is a great, great chapter. This is telling us about the lordship of Jesus, the ownership. We've been bought. We've been paid for with blood. And the fact that, that we belong to him, that's the issue that matters. That should direct the issues of conviction of our hearts. That should direct our lives. Jesus said this, man, the thief comes to steal, steal, kill, and destroy. I've come that you can have life. And Jesus said this, he said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily and follow me, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me and the gospel will save it. Jesus just said this, lose your life for me. I've come to give you life. And the beauty of that is this, is that there's like great latitude and freedom and liberty in serving Jesus. Isn't that awesome? Aren't you glad for that? That there's enough scope and there's enough leeway from the Lord that there's freedom of choice and there's freedom of action and there's freedom of thinking and the Lord loves the diversity that is expressed in his body. You know, we can learn and be enriched by those who in their relationship with Jesus are, you know, contemplative, the pursuit of holiness. You can learn and be enriched by those who in their relationship with Jesus are good-humored and, and cheerful and fun-loving and maybe full of beans. You know, I've met believers on either side, the contemplative guy and the crazy one, and it's like, I like that guy and I like that guy. I wish I was more like that guy. I wish I was more like that guy. You're like, wow, God, diversity in your family is is so awesome. You know, I've even sat at the vegetarian's table and eaten with them and enjoyed the food. <laughs> so Paul says this, look, if you're going to live, live for me, live for the Lord, live for Jesus. But if there's an area in your life where something needs to die, then crucify it. If there's an area in your life where something needs to die, then murder the flesh, man. Die to the Lord. But either way, we belong to Jesus. Verse 9 says this. For to this end, Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord of the dead and of the living. And so we live and we die for Jesus. That's what we do. That's who we are. We live and we die for Jesus. And so because of that, you know, judging one another is inappropriate because we are all going to face judgment. That's what we always forget, you know. When we judge other people, we forget. We're going to face judgment. Look at verse 10. Do you pass judgment on your brother? Or sorry, why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, Every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. So, you know, those who are really strict and maybe legalistic find it easy to judge their brother. Maybe they write off the unspiritual meat eater. The free Christian can be the one who expresses liberty in their life, can find it easy to have contempt for those who don't. You know, the, the legalistic guy can go, you know, the, you, you can just have 
contempt in your heart for the legalistic goody two-shoes, right? The teetotaler, whatever it is. But all along, the point is this. Before Jesus, before Jesus, I have enough to answer for. You have enough to answer for. And so why add judging one, one, one another to the, to the list? Before Jesus, you have enough to, to answer for. So I would say this. Stop worrying about what everyone else is doing. Just live for Jesus yourself. You know, he pulses this one day, you are going to stand before God's judgment seat. And what the person to the, to the left of you or to the right of you did is not going to matter. That is not going to be the discussion when you stand before the, oh yeah, well, so-and-so. Or it's going to be like, no. Each of us will answer for ourselves. But you know what I love about this text is this. This judgment seat that Paul is referring to here is something called the Bema seat. Have you heard of that? The Bema seat of Christ. That's what Paul is talking about here. You're going to be judged at the Bema seat. It's this equivalent. It's this equivalent. We just had the Olympic Games. And the Bema seat is is really the, the seat of the judge at the Olympic Games. You know, all the athletes run. They all cross the finish line. And then they come before the judge, and the judge hands out the crowns to those who have run the race. And likewise, the scripture says this, that our works, that our works will be tested by fire, and the Lord will re- reward for each one of us that which remains. That's the beauty of following Jesus. You know this? That the chaff of our lives is going to be burnt before we come to this judgment seat. You know, have you ever had somebody say to you, God will judge you. Have you ever had somebody do that? I've had people say that to me. <laughs> I'm just kind of a target for things like that sometimes. But the truth is God will judge, but before he judge, he's going to purge with fire. He will purge with fire And all the mistakes and all the shortcomings of my life and of your life, all the things that were covered by the blood of Jesus at the cross, it'll all be consumed. And you and I will come forth as gold before the Lord. And at the Bema seat, the judgment seat of Christ, the Lord's going to hand out crowns, man. He's going to hand out crowns. That is the beauty of this judgment seat that Paul talks about. It's a judgment seat that's only concerned with rewards, man. Eternal rewards. Nothing to do with salvation. Nothing to do with the bad stuff in your life. This is the rewards of the kingdom. You know, the truth is this, is that everyone will come before Jesus. Every single person. Paul just told us that. They will bow the knee to Jesus Every person in all of history will confess Jesus is Lord. There'll be two differences at that, between those people. He'll either be your savior or he will be your judge. And for you and I, for those who have bowed the knee to Jesus, he is savior. And I'm looking forward to the day when I get to go before his throne, before this judgment seat. And so as Paul talks about all these things, He's saying this, don't, don't, don't make an issue out of judging one another, you know. But he also says, this, don't, don't use your freedom to stumble one another. Look at verse 13. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in way of a brother. Stop passing judgments on one another. 
Elsewhere in 1 Corinthians 11, Paul says this. He, he says there's another judging that needs to happen. And the judging he talks about in 1 Corinthians 11 is this. He says you need to look inward. That's the judgment that needs to happen. Search your own heart. Judge yourselves. He says if we judged ourselves, 1 Corinthians 11, if we judged ourselves, we would not face judgment. And I would say this, if legalism is your game, if legalism is your game, then you need to ask yourself, has my legalistic attitudes caused other believers to stumble? Do I beat others up? Do I make them feel weighed down and condemned because they just don't live up? Or on the flip side of the coin, has my freedom, has my liberty uh, caused others to, who follow me to stumble? You know, because I've got freedom, they follow me, and then they, they trip up in the areas where I have freedom. Has my freedom caused me to lead other people into destruction? If we judge ourselves, Paul says, judge ourselves lest we be judged. And if we fail to judge ourselves, then the Lord will judge us. But I would say this again, this is not the judgment of destruction, it's the judgment of correction. You know, I was thinking through this text, I said, Lord, I want your correction. I want your discipline, Lord. If there are areas in my life that need correction and they need your judgment, please Bring it, Lord. I don't, I don't want to be separated from you. And that's the beauty of the Lord's judgment. The Lord's judgment in your life is really discipline. It's about correction. It's about having you on the right path. See, he is able to make us stand. That's what Paul said. The Lord is able to make you stand. He loves you. Jesus loves you. And I would say this, you know, the Lord will... He, 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 he loves you so much that he will even allow you to take your freedom too far. He'll allow you to do that. He'll allow you to take freedom too far. But because he loves you, he will not let that go on indefinitely. He will bring correction. He will bring judgment. He will get you in line. And so we're not to stumble each other over disputable matters. Because, you know, when we destroy... When we're destroying one another out of our own personal freedom, that, that, that takes that freedom and that privilege and it makes it a, a wrong. Look at verse 14. I know and am persuaded that in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ has died. And so again, this is, you know, the, the issue is not about personal freedom. You know, you think about that in our, in our country and in this world where we live where it's always freedom, rights, my freedom, my rights. But this is, this is the rights of the kingdom right here, okay? This is kingdom thinking. This is not about personal freedom or rights. The issue is this. Am I acting and walking in an attitude and in actions of love towards my brothers and sisters in Christ? Am I, am I walking with that attitude and love or, you know, am I destroying the one for whom Christ died? Jesus died for you. 
Are you using, using freedoms to destroy a brother in Christ over a preference of worship music? You know, over a pint of beer? Over a dress code? You know, over a version of the Bible? Over a piece of meat? Do those things matter? Do you get what he's saying? Isn't it better to pursue the higher calling of the kingdom? Remember, when we talked about this last week, we saw this. The submission to authorities. This is a mature stuff here, man. This is Christianity meeting the rubber meeting the road. Look at verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. You know, food becomes more important than righteousness. If a day becomes more important than peace and, or than, than joy in the Holy Spirit, then, then our hearts have gotten out, uh, out of touch with the priorities of the kingdom. And so I think Paul's, you know, exhortation here is this, is let's, let's serve Jesus. Let's pursue the things of the kingdom. Let's pursue righteousness. Let's pursue peace. Let's pursue joy in the Holy Spirit, the, in the presence of the Holy Spirit. You know, I think about these things. Righteousness, peace, joy. These things come from the Spirit of God. And when a church mutually is pursuing the Holy Spirit, man, we know this, we've experienced this. There's harmony. There's, there's harmony in the body, and that is the work of the Spirit. And so we're to use our freedom to build each other up rather than tear one another down. Check out verse 19. He says, So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. I like that word, upbuilding. Mutual upbuilding. Let's build one another up. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything indeed is, everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or to do anything that causes your brother to stumble. And so what great instruction from Paul. He's saying this, use your freedom, use your liberty in the Lord to build one another up, to be an upbuilder. I love being around people that are like that, don't you? I love that. It's like, man, I'm like, jeez, man, you're so positive and like encouraging and speaking up. I love that about people when you get around them and they're like that. Great instruction. You know, I'd say this. You know which freedom you do not have in Christ? You know the freedom that you do not have? You do not have the freedom to trip up other believers. And everything else, you have liberty in Jesus. Everything else is grace. Everything else is freedom. But the freedom you do not have is to trip one another up. So don't use your freedom to stumble people or to offend or to weaken a brother or sister in the Lord. And the flip side of the coin, Paul also says is this. In your freedom, don't, don't stumble yourself over someone who you feel that you have to cater to their legalism or to what they have wrong. He says that. Again, where was that? That was uh, verse 16. So do not let what you regard as good to be spoken of as evil. And so that means this. That doesn't mean in your freedom you have to cater to people who are legalists, to people who are trying to squeeze you in, into a mold, but you can't serve. 
And so in all of these things, we're to live by faith. Look at verse 22. He says, the faith that you have keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats. Because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. Now Paul, I love it. He says this. He says if, if you're not condemning yourself. If you don't have that sense of self-condemnation going on. And you aren't getting tangled up in legalistic religious demands. He says you're a blessed person man. You are happy. Don't you find that? Isn't that your experience when legalism isn't squeezing you and you're not in that self-condemning spot? You're like, man, I'm just happy in the Lord. Have the joy of the Lord. And so in all of these things, look, as he talks about all these things and some of these ones I've tossed out this morning, we can have different convictions about gray matters, about disputable things. But I would say this, hold to those convictions loosely when it comes to serving other people. When it comes to loving your brother, hold them with an attitude of love towards one another. And then Paul says, just live by faith. Live by faith in these things. And so may God give us, you know, favor to live by faith before him. To be untangled from these things. To live in freedom and to love one another. You know, there's a great old story. I, I don't know if you've ever heard this story, but I love this story. Some of this story, this story will be familiar to you, but to some of you. But... Two of the greatest preachers of the Victorian era in England were, were Charles Spurgeon and a man by the name of Joseph Parker. They were great friends. They had two of the, the, the most powerful pulpits in the nation. And because they were dear friends, uh, they would do this. They would actually exchange pulpits. So all Sunday would come along and they'd be like, hey, let's switch it up this week. Spurgeon would go preach at Parker's church. Parker would go preach at, at Spurgeon's church. And, um, and so they, they just had this great, friendship but Parker had a habit in his life that bugged Spurgeon and so Spurgeon one day penned him a note he wrote him a note and the issue was this is that Parker liked to go to the theater like he would go watch plays and to Spurgeon this was like man this is like so sinful that you would go to the theater like how could you go to the theater you're this great preacher this man of God and proclaiming the word of God and you go to the theater it's wrong and so he, he penned him a letter. And so, so Parker responded. He said, thanks for your letter. But there's something about your personality that bugs me. And it was this, that Spurgeon was, Spurgeon was a well-known cigar smoker. He loved to smoke cigars. I mean, we just think this in our culture. It's just like totally inappropriate, right? It's like the most vile person is the cigarette smoker these days. And Spurgeon was a cigar smoker. And so they had this tiff. It actually became quite public and it was spoken from, from both of their pulpits because Spurgeon was annoyed that Parker went to the theater and Parker was annoyed that Spurgeon was a cigar smoker. Not great. Public feud ensued between these two preachers. And, and, and it actually reached a point that it was reported in the newspapers in England. It's like, man, something got lost there. You know what got lost? Jesus. Jesus got lost, even in these great heroes of the faith that we love. You know, it's funny, uh, Spurgeon actually eventually gave up smoking cigars. You know why? Because there was a full-page newspaper ad in the, in, the, in the paper in London, in the London Times, 
and it was a cigar ad, and the title over the cigar ad said, The Cigar That Charles Spurgeon Smokes. <laughs> he was so convicted, he quit smoking cigars. <laughs> Isn't that great? Isn't that great? Disputable matters. What really matters is love. Walk in love. Seek to glorify Jesus. The rest, man, we'll work through it. We'll work through it. Let's walk, let us walk in love. This morning, I'm going to invite the worship team to come.